Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Paul and I'm here with Gar. That's me. And today we are doing an episode entitled Combo Deal. Now, before we've done duets, because there's six billion duets we yes. could have done, and we were going to do we were going to do duets part two, mm. and then you came up with the idea of something that I actually hadn't thought of. It's actually really good. Instead of like a band featuring an artist yeah. or a duet with two singers, what about if two full entities got together yeah. to do a song? Exactly. That's that's actually quite hard. To f- it was f- it was hard enough to fill this. Mm. Well, with ones that we liked, we could have done random ones. I Absolutely. Suppose, these are ones that we t- listen to and think of all the time. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's not it's not good enough, I don't think, to have just a band featuring one member because there's loads of them and some of them are good. But yeah. it's good to have, uh, yeah, just maybe not even full bands, just lumps of the two bands. Enough enough for it to actually be billed as the two bands. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That happens a couple of times in here where um, there's there's one of the more famous ones that's kind of in the middle of this this podcast. Like it's not even the full band, even though it's billed as the full band. If you know what I mean. Um, a lot of the time it'll be easier to say, oh, it's it's that band, even though it's two of the guys or three of the guys or something like that. You know. Um, but yeah, complete entities that like can stand alone by themselves. Um, as I said, we've had duets before where it's like the singer of this and the singer of that get together and do something. But we're talking like top shelf names that could hold their own in any given. Uh, kind of gig or record um, and we put them together we mash them together in some cases it's full groups in some cases it's kind of uh, it might be a rapper and a band that type of thing you know yeah yeah no uh, it's too easy to do what we were going to do and uh, this was we, when you suggested this I thought instantly thought of Trace which means in my head I think it's going to be easier to think the rest of them but then I start slowing down real bad mm. I was like fuck I could, like I said when we do this, we know whether we're going to do so- uh, songs that we like or whether we're just do songs for the sake of the podcast that exactly. we know of and know stories about. So I think we both got a list of... Actually, it's a good playlist. It is a really good playlist. There's nothing on here that I don't like. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I'd so, say most of these songs are on personal playlists of mine anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So And a lot of you will recognise... Probably the albums they're from yes. uh, are soundtracks. A lot of them are for soundtracks because this idea is sort of soundtrack related as well. In a way. Pretty much, yeah. Um, we'll get, the, the first one even is born from that. Um, well, it took uh, on a life of its own. But Tell me what your first one is. Uh, the first one is Slayer with Ice-T doing Disorder. That's uh, a mad mix. It's batshit mad. Now, um, it started life as, as um, a song on the Judgment Night soundtrack, which is a big deal. It's one of the kind of... Uh, precursors to this entire podcast that we're talking about a lot of people's kind of introduction to this this style of music um, it got a little bit more traction I, I don't think of it as a Judgment Night soundtrack for some song for some reason I think of it as uh, being from the, the box set soundtrack to the apocalypse which is like all their weird b-sides and um, weird live recordings and stuff like that I, I always think of that box set because I, I get pissed off because I didn't buy it I was in Plymouth years ago playing gigs and I walked in this little record store and they had it and it was real hard to get at the time but it was like 80 pounds and I was like I have Jesus 80 pounds like, do I want to buy this it is, this is the thing about like when you're in England 80 pound is not 80 euro 80 yeah. pound is over 100 euro or something exactly you know? but I just like I had it and I was like well I buy this blatant box set and it was, the, it was the ammo crate one that everybody wants you know uh, oh you shit could, yeah I remember yeah, that yeah because yeah. you, you can buy it now in like a little small box set that has CDs and whatever blah 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 DVDs but this was the ammo crate version for 80 quid and I was like oh my god like that's kind of hard to get I think I want to get that and uh, I didn't 
I think I just bought a load of takeaway or something instead. And um, <laughs> I, if, you, if, you only, if you only have that amount of money left in a different country, yeah, you have yeah. to keep some of it. Yeah, you have to ble- bleed it out. Like so, Something's going to go wrong. So, exactly. That's why I'm always terrified. I never, I never, whenever I'm away, I don't buy anything until the last like, day. It's gone mad yeah. on the last day, you know? Um, but yeah, th- this song is crazy. So, this is, it's actually a cover. It's, um, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a medley of three different exploited songs. Uh, you've got riffs from War, riffs from uh, UK eighty two, and riffs from Disorder. The song that they kind of based the chorus bit off, but it's it, like yeah, even though it is a cover, it's a medley of three different songs, which is Do kind of strange. I noticed actually most of the songs on this are either covers or a rework of one of yeah. the band's songs, and I think yeah. that helps uh, it go smoothly. Let's just oh, yeah. say. Yeah, absolutely. It's because I'm I'm sure if you took two different groups, two different sets of uh, workers, put them together, expect them to just come out with something golden. It's <laughs> not gonna work. Like no, it's exactly. not gonna work. Um, uh, one of the things that annoyed me about this is that I really wanted to get something from the um, the West Memphis Tree Black Flag album, but it's not on Spotify. Um, oh yeah, I have done CD. Yeah, I have it here as well. It's amazing, but it's not on Spotify. Um, the reason I picked this because I wanted to do there was a bit. It was Black Flag with Ice T doing Please Story, which is one of my favorite kind of crossovers ever. Yeah, and it's just not there. So I went with this as a kind of as a second choice just to try and get get Ice T in here somewhere. Just because a lot of people think of Ice T as the as the body count guy, depending on what kind of what. what farm you sit in you know he's the body count guy or he's the rapper guy you know to me he's both to be honest with you but um, he has such a such a love and an understanding of metal music that I find it very interesting when you get this kind of original gangster rapper dude who's mad into metal like crazy into metal music and like is capable of jumping on a song with Black Flag is capable of jumping on a song with Slayer and has his own metal band as well you know it's an amazing kind of yeah. mix of stuff with him but this this song is we're gonna we're gonna play a couple uh, we'll play a minute or so of this whatever um j- just to get give people an idea but it doesn't sound like it should work but it does because ice knows how to do kind of do aggressive vocals well still kind of punctuating every word and making sure it's understood yeah. Yeah, you know, I get you. He has this kind of punch behind his, his voice. Let's play a little bit of it for a couple of seconds anyway and give people an idea yeah. about what's going on. interesting take on kind of rap metal um where it doesn't really have a groove it just has this real kind of stabby effect yeah. but it, it, they make it work like you can tell that slayer if nobody told you that was there like that's fucking slayer like 100 percent. the sound, guitar sound yeah, yeah. like it's, it's, it's craziness even though they're doing a cover 
like they slayer the hell out of it like it works yeah um yeah I'm a big big fan of that song it's it's interesting it kind of changes then a few, uh, towards the end and uh, like i said because we've got three different songs being mashed into one but uh yeah that that came out the judgment soundtrack was 1993 and then soundtrack to the apocalypse came out 10 years later in 2003 which is as i said it's like a four disc cd and dvd box set um, of unreleased material and b-sides and just weird kind of takes um it's an interesting box set i think i think the whole thing might be up on on spotify because they have weird um they got kind of in a row with a record label when they're releasing that box set as well where um right. the label apparently it wasn't covered in their contract to do box sets and they were like this would be a cool idea so they had to renegotiate their entire uh contract to try and squeeze in some sort of uh, a deal for releasing box sets and yeah, then they have to fucking argue to get a product that will make the record label money exactly it's real weird and then I think they were fighting over the, the ammo box version and then just they wanted to release just a you know a clamshell CD type thing and um, then the record label are being weird about what songs were being released um, the record label where they wanted like all the, the biggest Slayer songs and Slayer wanted to put out the songs that they played best on in the live versions, if you get me. So they had to come up with this deal where they let the record label pick the songs, but they were able to veto X amount of them and replace them with maybe album tracks that they reckon they performed better than the ones that the label wanted, you know? So yeah. interesting. But that's, that's my force from Slayer and Ice-T doing this order. Think, it's, it's mad to think of Slayer or Ice-T having to sit down and explain their own music to any of these. But Imagine. It's, like, it's always the way it is. Like it's In 2003, mad. like... You know, yeah. this isn't the late eighties. This is two thousand and three. You know, like the lads have been around for at that stage, thirty years, selling millions of records. Like, do not like any record label on earth. Like, whatever you want to do, you want to release some a Slayer little, condom grant. Some little twenty-five-year-old who listens to Huey Lewis is just going, I don't know, lads. Mm. Shut the fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> Fucking craziness. Anyway, that's my first one. That's Slayer. What I used to with this order. Who was your first one? My first one is Sparks and Fight No More. Like, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. So, in 1997, I think it was, they released this album called Plagiarism, mm. where they're just covering or reworking their own songs with other people, or maybe just on their own in mm. a different way. This is their 17th album. Crazy. Like, and it's in, this, that's then, that's 20 something, five years ago or something like that. I don't know more. I can't, I can't count anymore. It's more than that. Jesus, whatever that is. Um, they had Jimmy Somerville uh, doing songs on them with it. They have Georgia Marauder. But in, for some random reason, and I'll get into it a little bit later, they have Fate No More doing two songs Crazy. on the album. Um, and they're doing this song, which is probably one of Sparks' most well-known songs. Mm. This town, town ain't big enough for the both of us. Um, so the, the the deal is, Billy Gould said in, Billy Gould said in 1997, which is when they recorded, he goes, uh, Sparks found out that they were a massive fan, but like we were massive fans of them because mm. they talk about them all. It's Fate No More talked about them all the time. Um, and they got in contact and went, Do you want to uh, do a few songs on the thing? And Fate No More were like, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, 100% please. do. Um, uh, Billy Gould said that he always stuck by that he thought Queen ripped off Sparks. Hmm. And uh, that's quite interesting, right? Because. Uh, Russell Mail said in 2006 that, that early on, before Queen broke, they were trying to get Brian May into Sparks. And oh. they, met up, they met up a few times about mm. it, which is fucking mad if That's you think weird. about it. He said he, thought, he gave us some thought and met, after meeting up a few times, but uh, he wasn't really, it wasn't meant to be or whatever like that. Mm. Uh, so both of these bands are from California. 
Mm. So it's not like worlds apart, and they mm. definitely are like versions of themselves mm. later on, like a little bit, a little bit mad and yeah. offbeat, yeah. as Netflix would say, irreverent. <laughs> <laughs> they really do write that and everything. They do. Um, offbeat. Half, yeah, half of this album was recorded by Tony Visconti, who was David Bowie's uh, producer for mm. Donkey's Ears, and the other half was recorded by themselves in their own purpose-built studio in LA surrounded by busts of Elvis is, is in their studio for some reason but I couldn't figure out where this song was either done by Tony Visconti I'd say it might have been done by Tony mm. Visconti to be honest which has that sound um, they played this live twice once when it was out in the Brixton Academy in 1997 and once in the uh, Hollywood Palladium in 2010 I remember I think I know someone who went to that Deadly. very jealous uh, right after this weirdly Sparks went and recorded the soundtrack to the 1998 Jean-Claude Van Damme film, Knock Off. Wow. Sp- I didn't no idea Sparks did a soundtrack to that movie, no. Knock Off. Uh, that's, that's my one. Do you want to play a little bit of it? Cause it's, yeah, let's it's, get a bit of it going. It's the song that people know, but it's the version of it when you hear, when you hear what's being done coming yeah. in. It's, oh, it's great. Okay. Is she a new time? The mamas are your favorite time on your winter tonight. Hobbit, increasing hobbit, you feel the thunder of stuff beating minus elephants and tacky tigers. It's time to pick it up for the both of us. Then it ain't me that's gonna leave. very cool it's deadly it just yeah. it sounds like a start like the normal one and then fight them all bring their own kind of it's just it's, it works really really well yeah, i think def- fight them all held back to be respectful of the song but oh definitely respectful. definitely that's, that's, yeah um they, they seem to be pretty good at that just finding the slot that's needed yeah you know yeah. um fight them are gonna pop up again on this playlist um, yeah i'm, I'm, I'm yeah. one of the big ones i suppose well that, it made uh, sense because fight them are a massive fan of sparks they say that they approach songs the way they do and they want things to be a little bit different so there's no reason for them to try and do their own thing it's yeah. it's, it's a tribute so that was Absolutely. my first one anyway who's your next one uh, my next one is an interesting one and it's jello biafra from well jello biafra with the melvins now yeah. he's done he's done two albums with the melvins um this song is called dawn of the locusts and it's off an album called Never Breathe What You Can't See uh, from 2004. Yeah, 2004. Uh, on Alternative Tentacles, which is Jello's record label. Uh, Alternative Tentacles was set up by Jello to put out the initial kind of run of, of uh, Dead Kennedy's albums. And then th- that was kind of the beginning of the end for, for Jello with Dead Kennedy's, where they thought that he was holding money back and there was a big court case. Turns out he wasn't. There was just some accountant didn't carry a decimal point correctly somewhere and no one was getting paid what they were supposed to be getting paid and but the damage was done at that stage yeah, yeah. so Jello Biafra after Dave Kennedy's definitely became um kind of a, a name of his own right he, he he done albums with Jesus everyone he's done stuff with 
No Means No. I think he's done one album at No Means No. He's done maybe two with DOA. Then he, he started his uh, Jello by Afra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine. And he has about. That sounds familiar. I remember that. He's yeah, they, they've been around for a while. Yeah. He's just always had it. He always has something going. And what's interesting is that he's not necessarily a musician. Uh, he, he carries around a dictaphone with him. And what he'll do is he'll kind of hum something into a dictaphone. Like, he doesn't play any instruments. So he'll kind of pick up the dictaphone and go... And then he'll start, like, kind of singing into it and stuff like that. And he'll hand that over to the musician. That's uh, that's what Mike Patton did earlier. Yeah. Just did that same stuff. That's what Michael Jackson Jackson did. And that's what Captain Beefheart did. There you go. The handiest way to do it, I suppose. Uh, He just never bothered. I don't know whether now he plays anything, but... Um, I know he's a massive record collector. He has so many, he has so many hundreds of thousands of records that he donated loads of them to some uh, library somewhere. Really, he, co- he collects like loads of stuff. You're into like Cambodian rock and roll and fucking like all Sunday, that kind of yeah. um, kind of offbeat music. He's mad for that shit. Like he's always kind of finding uh, records that you know there was ten of them made that type of thing. You know, he wouldn't necessarily collect popular music, but he collects absolute batshit mad stuff outsider music and all that kind of stuff uh so i mean looking at jello what have we got we got six dead kennedy's albums we got five lard albums which is him with some of the guys in ministry um now ministry that lard eventually kind of just morphed more into a ministry side project as opposed to um a ministry and jello kind of thing but he's done five with them. Uh, five Guantanamo School of Music albums. Two albums mm. with DOA. One with No Means No. Two with the Melvins. And then he's always he's always kind of writing stuff for people. Like uh, Sepultura, Biotech is Godzilla off KSAD. Jello by Afro wrote the lyrics for that. Yeah. Um, so he's always doing stuff like that. Uh, Melvins, I mean, Melvins are one of the... Like, how do you even explain the Melvins? Like, They were, like, the, one of the biggest influences on... Nirvana. Yeah, so Mel- the Melvins kind of low-key started grunge by coming out of the kind of hardcore scene. It started out as this weird uh, hardcore punk band that were interested in jazz and world music and stuff like that, and experimental kind of drone and noise, and yeah. uh, influenced a bunch of bands that kind of went on to become bigger and took that, the whole idea of how the Melvins wrote songs and kind of sculpted them into the kind of more melodic, grungy thing that we consider to be kind of grunge today, like like incredibly influential band, like for for the nineties in general, for kind of nineties alternative music, the Melvins are one of the kind of keystones. Um, but yeah. uh, the, the, very very interesting band. The, the the Buzz, the lead singer, writes all the songs. So this, listen to how they do this uh, Melvins Jello Boy Africa kind of crossover with Never Breathe, which you can't see this song. Uh, Don of the Locust. It's it's batshit mad. It doesn't sound like it makes sense because um, Jello you know needs what? a certain amount of I, space to to work lyrically. Oh yeah, I heard this album once and I was like not in the mood for this right now. Yeah, there's a lot going away, on, and I never went back to it. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, I remember thinking it was one or two songs. I was like, that's fucking deadly. But I was like, you know what? I'll file that away for a while, and I just fucking forgot. The one, the one I really wanted was the one he done with No Means Now because No Means Now are one of the, one of their most influential bands on like everything me and you love in the world. No Means Now are the the one hundred percent the crux of it all. But because their stuff is so hard to find, they're not on Spotify. You don't find them in record stores. Once they broke up, they kind of deleted everything. Like they they'll put up the, the one or two of the guys No Means Now will post up on their on their. Uh, Facebook page every now and again like please stop buying our records 
you know what I mean? Like, if they have a, was that, they have a fallen out with the record label? No, they just I don't want to be known as a band anymore. We're done. Like, I don't want to get royalty checks See, from this anymore. I don't want to be oh, thinking well, of weird. it. Well, like that's a weird thing to say because what they can do is they can just transfer that royalty tracks directly to charity and not have to worry. Yeah. people people are going to buy their. Re- you can't tell people to not buy exactly, records. Exactly, yeah. Because they put up like a, a stop stop uh, stop buying our music off uh, Discogs. Stop buying our music in whatever Tower Records. Stop buying our music. Blah blah blah. All this kind of shit all the time. But what they'll do is every now and again, I think they release like T-shirts. They'll do like right. a No Means Now T-shirt, and I think a lot of that goes to charity. Um. They just n- no interest. We're like we had our we had our fucking thirty years or whatever it was, and uh, we're done now. We're building robots, we're building robot bands, and uh, <laughs> th- that's that's what we do. You know, uh, I'm gonna play a bit of this for the people at home because it's it's yeah. interesting. It's it's particularly interesting. Um, the, it has a Melvin's feel, but it all gets so changed up by having Jello by sing on it. Here we go. Dawn of the Locusts, batshit mad. Um, I like yeah. that a lot. I like it a lot. Yeah, um, so the the drummer from the Melvins guy called Dave Crover actually played on Nirvana's demo. Um, they didn't have a drummer at the time, and because they knew the lads from the Melvins, so like, listen, can you can we take a lend you a drummer for uh, yeah. to record? So when he went, he done like a ten track demo with them. Uh, Gene Simmons has played with Melvins. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, he's a big fan of the Melvins. They're big fans of Kiss, and they got Actually, together. Mel- Melvins and Tomahawk did an album together. Yeah, so that's go. another to- Mike Patton. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Gene Simmons has played with them. Batshit mad band that could uh, uh, a real muso band. Realistically, they're not like they're not incredibly like they're they're popular, but they're not. You don't see that many people walking around rocking their t shirts. You know. They're uh, they're pretty big amongst fans of like uh, helmet and yeah. yeah very early sub pop stuff yeah, yeah definitely yeah. that anybody who likes that kind of early sub pop and um, kind of dissonant rock and roll stuff will be fans of the Melvins you know uh, yeah and especially if you like if you're into the Clutch and Coyus like or even Queens of yeah. Stone Age get into the Melvins they're so good yeah, exactly and every album is different like they they signed a big joint deal. Um, I think it's when Nirvana got in, they they got them signed to Geffen, and they released like uh, I think Houdini and maybe yeah. fucking what was the other one, Stone or Witch, Stone something or like Witch. that. Uh, they released I think two two or three albums on Geffen, then they got released. 
um, and they signed to another record label to do experimental albums. They released they released an album called something weird like the amb- ambient works of the Melvins, and it wasn't ambient at all. And everybody was like, "What the fuck's going?" It was mad heavy, like just to fuck with everybody. <laughs> um, interesting band, but it's hard to find two albums alike with them. You know, maybe yes. the closest thing to that would be the Geffen kind of straightforward stuff. Uh, Stag is another one that's kind of I yeah. think that might, might have been I guess I'm not yeah. sure. it, it, definitely worth, worth a look anyway that's uh, Jello Biafra with the Melvins from 2004 with Dawn of the Locust who is your next one? my next one is Filter and the Crystal Method this is Crystal Method can you trip like I do um, this is from the Spawn soundtrack from the 1997 mm. film uh, this album is actually certified gold would you believe it or not? Mental. Uh I've been meaning to look into the vinyl. I think they're all gone. The records. There was I've seen records. it at some stage. Yeah. yeah. They get re-released on a record store. It started. did. And it was yeah. blue. Lovely blue thing. Mm. Um, this was one of the first like proper ideas to have a crossover mm. of electronic artists with rock and metal ones. Because around 1997, yeah, it had been done. But it hadn't really been celebrated as in like, this is a new thing now happening. Yeah. This is a big compilation of what can happen when electronic artists get together with rock because it works so well mm. so aside from this song it had Marilyn Manson and Sneaker Pimps on a song Buhol Surfers and Moby it had The Prodigy and Tom Morello Henry Rollins and Goldie was a mad Weird. one and Slayer that's probably and good Atari. yeah yeah I think that was all right and Slayer and Atari Teenage Riot did a song Weird. Uh, on it but this is the one I like the most I think uh, this is a big Crystal, one yeah, it's it's one. It's I think it's like released as a single because it had a video and all. I remember, mm. uh, the Crystal Method and Filter are both American, um, and I think, I think that they did a really good job of making. Filter did a really good job of making a song out of this because this was a Crystal Method song already, mm. like a piece of music. This was just called Trip Like I Do from mm. their first album called Vegas, um. But uh, they ca- filter came along and they added the guitars and your man fucking hell what's it? Richard, Richard Harris pa- Richard no Richard Harris Patrick no, Harris no it's not you we, you did this the last time you were talking about him Neil Patrick he, Harris <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a uh, Patrick Patrick yeah the second name is Patrick yeah. John Patrick, I can't remember. Never remember his name. I had it. I had it fucking I, written down. I, 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 I fucking. Um, I was looking. I am. Um, Motherfucker, I was looking at his bleeding Instagram the other day. Uh, his name is Rich, uh, Richard Patrick. Richard, Richard Patrick. Patrick. Yeah, because right, he's two forced names, so fuck him. Yeah, that always wrecks my head when yeah. people do that, and I always mix it up. Uh, this song is so good. Do you want to give it a little bash there? Because uh, I don't know if people will have heard there. I heard. I genuinely did hear the Crystal Method one uh, first, I think. I'm pretty sure I did, because I was mad into anything that was like that at the time. But uh, give it a go there anyway. All right, here we go.
Oh yeah, I listened to that one a lot to be honest with you. Yeah, it's cool. It's like um that time Ian Brown came and sang over an uncle song that was already kind of out there. Mm. Uh it can be done, like you can Oh yeah. It doesn't have to be changed a huge amount. I honestly think Filter did an absolutely brilliant job of this. Because mm. apparently the deal is, I, I, I find it really hard to find uh, any information on this. It's album. impossible. These songs are just fire and forget. Like nobody was taking notes. Yeah. So I don't even know. I would love to know whose idea it was. Come up with it. Obviously the producer of the album, whoever they heard. Yeah. Or, and then, but who, who puts them together? Because yeah. they, they, these had to send each other songs. Because... Um, Liam Howlett said that the whole thing was absolutely thrown together with bands just sending each other files. Jesus. Or tracks. I don't know how it was done in 1997. Mm. I don't know it was files. But, uh, uh, and they were only given sometimes three days to finish to get something together. Moby yeah. said the same. He said it was all thrown together. He was originally paired with Gravity Kills, who were a great band. Yeah. Well, they were at the time. I don't know if they still are. But, um, uh, he, and he just sent them like, apparently Gravity Kills were saying, yeah, they were mad impressed with what Moby sent. Just really? a few blips and blops and some oh. sounds from keyboards so when they sent something back moby went no i don't want to be part of that and they were like are you fucking serious <laughs> so moby went back and went i want someone else and they sent yeah. butthole surfers okay so that's the song and apparently moby didn't even like that either but it was too late to, he just went with too it. late it just uh, happened yeah wow. yeah liam howlis say, said that it was all kind of trying to get her but he also said that um that uh he would love to do a song with corn Right. That was years ago. He said that though, and I'm like, fuck, man, that'd be great. That'd work. Imagine Prodigy and Corn. That'd work. I mean, Filter definitely have electronic elements. That's one of the reasons why the band, band kind of yeah. split in two eventually is that uh, they wanted one half wanted to go more electronic and one wanted to go more rock, and the electronic end won. So I wonder if it was, what was it, 1997? So, um, yeah, that would have been early kind of early filter yeah. would have had like intros that were like bah, 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 kind of synthy yeah they stuff had that it. yeah but uh, like to have that much of it and based on a crystal method yeah so exactly I think there's a few albums like this the Judgment Night soundtrack and Spawn and a few others that soundtracks lived on further than the film definitely like the film is like, to be honest with you I gave one rather forget about Spawn although I'd say it's a bit of crack to watch when you're hammered or something maybe maybe I was so disappointed as a kid that I never went back to it oh yeah I think I, I watched it once when it came out it was absolute dirt they're I making a new one at the moment so that's right with Jamie Foxx yeah and apparently Spawn's not in it that sounds like a great idea uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember right me and my mate got a copy of Spawn because uh, I don't think it was in the cinemas over in Ireland was oh, it? I tell you, if it was it I was like one, one day in the, in the yeah, Savoy job you know it wasn't I remember it came out and we made boat rented it uh, but he wanted to watch it with his brother and I remember just going like I'm not going to go to just didn't want it for whatever reason hmm. so we both watched it around the same time and I remember talking the next day going what does you think of it and he's like what did you think of it I was like what do you think of it? He's like, yeah. shy. And I was like, shy. Yeah. <laughs> Fly, filled, like, flying, filled. Yeah, it was dort. So it was Judgment Night, like, to be fair. Yeah. Um, it, doesn't really, it, it doesn't really do much. It, but Spawn had, Spawn had fucking, it had something to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big job. And, and the cast like, was solid enough. Like, and was it Michael Joy White yeah. and John Luisi Amo? And there, I mean, there was a bunch of people yeah. in it. And the comics are great. Like, I loved, loved the comics back in the day, you know? Like, that came out at the height of Spawn Mania. Like, yeah. Like Spawn was the biggest superhero in the world, and the fact he was getting a movie was such a big deal. And then you see the movie, and it's a bloke in a fucking wetsuit with like the worst CGI cape you've ever seen in your entire life. Like, I want to watch it again. Yeah, it's just so bad. 
it's so bad. Sh- you know what we'll do someday? We'll <coughs> watch it uh, together and we'll record it. Oh, we should do a Patreon of a, a watch, a watch through of, of the Spawn movie. What have I just got us into? Oh, that's nothing compared to what I got us into last night. Oh, what? Uh, we're all going to see Snoop Dogg and Kerry next year. In Kerry? Yeah. We're going to rent a castle on all the Lost Art people. We're going to go now and rent a castle for a weekend and go and see Snoop Dogg, Obi Trice, D12, The Dog Pound, um, uh, Warren G., all that shit in Kerry. Because I'm not going to see him in Dublin. Because I don't want to get stabbed. That's a, that's a good idea. Yeah, it would be unreal. To not go to the one in horrible gig in Dublin. Yeah, we got to the one in Kerry. And stand <laughs> stand, stand amongst the wellies and GAA jerseys. It'll be unreal. And I bet you the place is smaller. It'll be savage. I was going to say, it's going to have to be like half the size. Yeah, it's going to be unreal. Okay. So that's right. what I got us into last night. Cool. That's not too bad, actually. It's better than watching Spawn. Well... Uh, <laughs> That was, Crystal, that, home. that was Crystal Method and Filter. Who's your next one? Uh, my next one is probably the one that started it all, and it's uh, Aerosmith with Run DMC and Walk This Way. Oh yeah, this is the this is the one I think that start began big crossovers. Uh, I, I I struggle to think of anything from before. This that. is this is the the one that the mind goes to immediately. Uh, it, it instantly, once somebody says this, like I, I had to throw it on. It's not my favorite song of all time, but it's very important. Um, so. Okay, how do I even explain this? There's a weird, there's a w- weird format to this. So, "Walk This Way" is an Aerosmith song that was released in 1975, and it was on it was on an album that done particularly well. But by the mid 80s, no one really cared about Aerosmith anymore. They were just like of that That's time. Right. They were it, it was kind of over for them. And Run DMC in like 1986 were in the studio with Rick Rubin. Uh, working on an album and Ruben had a little record player and he was mad into the first couple of Aerosmith albums he was always playing them and in particular he really liked Walk This Way and one of the guys in Run DMC heard the the fucking and he sampled it and they started using it on Run DMC live shows um, just as like a little kind of freestyle thing that's all they had it was literally like a boom boom and they'd rap over that and for like 40 seconds for the crack and they were thinking about using it as a sample and Ruben said like why don't we like do like a proper crossover like this could be kind of cool because I reckon we could get Run DMC like on board because no one really gives a shit about Run DMC anymore like, I still love them, but they're not very popular. Not as popular as they were. And you guys are, like, mad popular riding the crest of this this hip-hop thing that's taken over the world. So, apparently, like, two tours of Run DMC were like, absolutely not. That's stupid. That's a stupid <laughs> fucking idea. Um, but I think maybe Jam Master J or something was like, I think, I think that'd be unreal. Like, why don't we try it? So, they reached out. They got, um, they got Tyler and they got Perry in. Because they couldn't afford the rest of the band. Right. They didn't have the money for it. Got them in, re-recorded vocals, got him to do some guitar licks, and they just programmed everything else. And even when they made the video for it, if you look at the video, you only see Tyler and you only see Perry. The rest of the guys who are playing people in the band are just lads who kind of look the part. Just lads who look like rockers. Oh my God, so they put them in it? Yeah, they put put two lads. 
Yeah. Put the two lads in uh, in the other room. So that classic video where Run DMC are in one room and there's meant to be Aerosmith in the other room. But they couldn't afford to pay for like the, the other guitarists, bassist, drummers, drummer, drummist. They couldn't afford them. So on the video, they just got a couple of lads, they got some lad from some kind of band they knew who was kind of a kind of a cock rocker looking type of dude and put him in, threw a bass around the shoulders. Oh uh, my God. Some random amazing. drummer, you know, and that's what you never, they never really focus on them. They're kind of there in the background. I'd so say you, the other lads are rage. Oh no, but hang on, they weren't, they weren't, well, hang on, they couldn't afford them as in. <laughs> couldn't afford to pay their, pay them to wait. Uh, to show up to the recording studio to record or to go to the video. Now, it would have still billed as Aerosmith, so when Aerosmith were getting their cut of royalties, the lads were getting their cut of it as well. So they were getting essentially right. paid for okay, doing nothing. Right. They just missed out on kind of an upfront free fee, but I, 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 I right. didn't read anything about there being too much um, disharmony in the band about it because they all thought it was going to be a fucking joke. Now, what this ended up doing was ended up kickstarting Aerosmith's career again in a big way. Like, once the song came out, uh, it's well. F- first of all, this Run DMC version changed the way that Aerosmith played the song from that point onwards. There's like a weird pitch shift in it that they done in the studio that Aerosmith liked a lot. And so whenever they play that song, even to this day, they sing the Run DMC kind of version of the chorus. If you get me, so I'm gonna play yeah. a bit of it here now. Uh, I mean, yeah. everybody knows the song, but um, for shits and giggles. So, like I said, that's that's like the OG, um, I think the original one that kind of that kicked things off. Now, it worked great for bow parties because the song charted on the hip-hop charts and the rock charts, and yeah. it was played on the rock radio and the kind of urban radio as well. So, bow parties got a big boost off it. If you that's get a me, cool you know? crossover as well. Exactly. It just, it just it tend to work. Um because apparently when they went in to do when they went in to do the the, the song, uh, the lads in the MC hadn't even heard the original Aerosmith version of it. They, were, they just knew that deal, and they just knew that riff, <laughs> and they were like, "All right." Um, and the, they they were pissed off because they had to do um, Tyler's lyrics, so they, they kind of slightly altered them because the way he was doing the verse in the original song was almost like proto rapping anyway from nineteen seventy five. Right. You know the way he kind of he kind of yeah. he stabbed at the words. So they were like, "Okay, but we can if there's two of us doing it, we can kind of do a call and response type of thing and make it sound like us." Um, but yeah, both parties at the start were like, "This is this is nonsense. This is gonna go nowhere. Like this is just a stupid fucking thing." But Rick Rubin was like, "This is gonna work. This is one hundred percent gonna work. Like people are gonna love this," yeah. and he was dead right. 
It right about most of the stuff he done in his career, to be fair. He, um, like, it was definitely a brainchild of his. Yeah, to 100%. have that, that. And uh, like, the idea is so stupid, but it yeah. wor- like, I can see why some people. There's a few examples on this where, they, like, the other people were like, "No, we're not doing anything with that." With yeah. that group, like that. But someone is. It also has a bang of like Jimmy Ivey, and it's to come up with an idea like that or something, wouldn't oh, yeah. he? Absolutely, like he yeah. Yeah, he was always like, take this song, give it to that person, yeah, you know that type. Of, he was mad for mix, that. Mix these, do this song together, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, that was "Walk This Way" uh, featuring Aerosmith. It's not, it's, it's uh, so that went out on "Raising Hell" in nineteen eighty six. So just over like eleven years after the original song came out. So uh, that's Aerosmith got a, got a big boost off that, and all of a sudden they were popular again. Um, what is your next one? My next one is Motorhead and Girl School. Deadly. Together with Please Don't Touch. Mm. So, Girl School are an absolute phenomenon. They are the most successful all-female British rock band ever. Hmm. So, the, like, when punk had, like, the slits, hard rock had, like, Girl School. Yeah. Th- those are the bands that I think of when I think of, like, Take No Shit. Yeah. I won't say girl bands. They're just all-female bands. Mm. Um. So, let me... Uh, and Motorhead's manager went to see Girl School play after hearing their first single. Mm. He was absolutely blown away by them. And a few weeks later, he offered them support on Motorhead's uh, 1979 tour. He said, in his opinion, that Kelly Johnson was as good as any other guitarist he'd ever seen in his life. Deadly. Uh, and he also said that this would stick it up the pompous bastard guitarist's arses <laughs> to see this, people that went. Um, so Phil Taylor and Fast Eddie Clark were like, <laughs> I'm not torn with a mop band. I'm mm. absolutely not doing it. And he went back and said to them, he said, listen, not only can they play, he said, they're better than you mm. at their instruments. That must have been fucking poxy for them. Yeah. But fuck it. He's like, you can't say you're not playing with them. They're literally better than you at this. Mm. So you are playing with them uh, or else you're not in Motorhead. Mm. So he also said on many occasions that them girls would drink any other band under the table. <laughs> they were proper like lunatics yeah like like they lived that life of that like there was no difference between how they did their rock life they were causing trouble yeah all the time in loads of shit getting locked getting kicked out places all the time like that um play this song this is actually a this is actually a cover of a song from the 50s because there's a lot of these i think are a cover and they're called this isn't actually motorhead and girl school it Mm. is but they had to combine the names so they're called head girl yeah, there you for go. the for the for the purposes of this thing, and okay. they had, and they had um, an EP called Motor School, which is very funny. <laughs> so yeah, give this a bash. I don't right, actually yeah. really like this song. Please don't touch. I say so much. Please 
iconic, that one, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of crack. So uh, Kelly Johnson actually died in 2007. She was 49, and she, uh, not too long after, well, not too long after, it was 2015 is when Phil Taylor, Phil the Animal, mm. uh, died um, at 61. And then that same year is when Lemmy died. Mm. Uh, he was 70. And then a year later, Fast Eddie Clark died mm. at 67. That's, uh, so obviously Motorhead couldn't go on after that. But girls' school do still go on. And in fact, this is a mad story, right? They were sitting there in the pub and they said, uh, wouldn't it be funny like, if she was on the album? And they were like, how can she be on the album? It's like, well, this might sound mad, right? But if we take her urn and shake it into the mic like a, a piece of a like, cushion. Mm. So they had to go around to the man that and say, could we do this? And they were like, fuck it, yeah. They said, Kelly would have thought this was amazing. Thing yeah, to do. yeah. So she's technically on one of the later albums. Deadly. Uh, and they, and she said, they said to the producer, it's just the weirdest thing you've ever recorded. And he's like, boy a mile. Boy a never, mile. <laughs> never. I don't think you're ever going to top this. Yeah. Ashes being played over the thing. So yeah, that was Girl School well. and Motorhead or Head Girl, Motor. Mm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's your next one? Yeah, my next one is uh, it's a big one. It's Fight No More against Fight No More with Booyah Tribe doing another this, body murdered. This is probably the best song on the whole playlist. Yeah, it's 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 so good it got released as like a twelve inch single off that Judgment Night soundtrack. They released a couple of singles, but this is the one they knew. They were like, This is just outrageous. Um it's also it's kinda notable for, for two reasons. One, it was most people's introduction to the Booyah Tribe. Who had been around for years but never yeah. really broke the skin. Um and, and to be honest with you, maybe didn't break kind of break through afterwards either. Like they they'd been around for, no. for years. Very interesting history to that band. Um, that I, I remember talking to Skinny about this and he yeah. said that they have an unreal album and it's 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 not Doomsday it's called. Is that it? Yeah, Doomsday. It's not it's available outrageous. on Spotify, I don't no, think. No, no. You can get uh, New Funky Nation, which is alright. Sorry, but yeah. Doomsday is just outrageous. I have an LP here. It's fucking bananas. I must give it a listen properly. Um, it's just outrageous. A proper kind of gangster rap album from the nineties. Like it's yeah. Um, but they play all their own instruments. Yeah, are, are they Samoan or something? They're or Samoan, and it's uh, so. Is it? They started off. Jesus, they're all brothers and cousins, and they started off singing and dancing in their father's church. He was a pastor, and right. um. They fell into like uh, gang culture, and they ended up moving to Japan, right? And while they were in Japan, they start doing like uh, break dancing and uh, rapping because like hip hop was starting to get big in Japan. So they start messing around with music. Um, they kind of grew up playing like bass, guitar, drums, you know, uh, gospel music in their father's church. Yeah. Uh, but they always kind of had an interest in, in, in street music. And when they got to Japan to get them out of the, the kind of gang life. When they were sent over there, they obviously had family or something there. And they start performing. And they started Booyah Tribe over there as like kind of a, a hip-hop group. And that started doing real big in Japan. So they like, let's go fucking back home. So they went back home and just embraced kind of ga- weird Samoan gang culture. It's batshit mad. Mental story. Like, um, yeah. there's, a, there's a book about them. Out. I read it years ago. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't remember an awful lot of it. Uh, one of them died, I think, last year. Gangster Rid. I think it was last year, the year before. One of the main guys died. Um, OG Cobra still doing the rounds. But oh, I think I heard about that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's a co- uh, Esoteric was talking about um, Gangster Rid, actually, on on, yeah. um, on on the interview we've done with him. Mm. But uh, very interesting bands. They, they, they were mad into metal as well. They put out a metal album 
called Mentally Disturbed. Uh, where they again play their all, all their own instruments. It's m- not good. It's not good. Oh, that, that name is already a, not a great sign. And the cover is I own that in LP as well. I think I have all the one LP. Uh, the album cover looks like something. So it's just garbage. Like, I don't even know how they made it. It's just the worst. Um, it's re- it's real bad. Uh, a really interesting group. Let's put it that way. Because every now and again they'll do these like Barry White sexy songs, and it's fucking so weird, man. Then the next <laughs> song, the next song is about fucking shooting someone with a Tech Nine. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. M- yeah. Bad shit, Matt. But they always, uh, they always reminded me of Bad Brains in a way. I was like, just do whatever yeah, song comes to your head. Right very much so. Yeah, very much so. I'd, I'd say realistically, Bad Brains would have been a big influence on them for kind of playing kind of the metally kind of hardcore stuff that they were doing. And they, they always toyed with it, you know. And I think uh, and a couple of the albums are songs where they kind of using distortion that's a little bit more you know up pace. But yeah, uh, interesting combination to put them together with Fate No More. This was the first Fate No More song not to have Jim Martin. Um, it was when Jim was getting kind of turfed out of the band he was still officially in the band when they were recording this but they were rowing with him so Billy Gould played uh, guitar and bass I'm surprised that one of them didn't yeah I think it was just the Fight No More done the music sent it over and the lads just on the vocals Um, I think they I think they just assumed Martin was going to play or whatever yeah it might might be a case of as well if if Fight No More are slated to do the music they don't want to trust someone else playing guitar and it being yeah. attributed to Fight No More's new guy exactly. or something like exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though one guy from Fight No More, sorry, one guy from Billy Atrope could eat all the Fight No More. Like, they're all like six and a half foot tall, two yeah, stone monsters. Yeah. monsters like, uh, and, and even the lads who are like close to average height, they're all bodybuilders and huge. Like, it's absolutely outrageous. Like, it's just the maddest. Like, I'm, you'd need about six cars for the cunts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, outrageous looking as well, because they all have the, the kind of weird Native American ponytails and stuff like that. And they put like scrunchies in their hair to make it look like Hawaiian flowers and stuff. That It's mad looking. It's absolutely They're a bad. mad old band, if you yeah. think about it. They're very. There's no one else really like No them. one like them. There's no one like the Billy yeah. Tribe. Like, no one at all. Um, yeah. th- not all their music is good. Like, I'd say half it is. Um, they didn't do that much stuff realistically, but like yeah. w- w- when I look at when I look at uh, that Judgment Night soundtrack to this is on, like they're definitely one of the kind of lower key groups that are on there. Like you look at whatever Helmet and House of Pain and fucking whatever. But like Billy Tribe, nobody would have known who Billy Tribe is. But by the end of listening to this album, everyone's like Billy Tribe. We need more of this Billy Tribe. What the fuck is yeah. this shit? You know. Now realistically, ninety percent of it is down to fate no more. It's down to that mic pattern. It's down to that. It's down to the music being killer. But like um, the lads in Billy just knew how to do the rapping correctly on this. We're going to play a bit of it now. Um, We're going to play a minute or so over here now. And if they pay, then they pay what they like To watch another man try to hold on to a life Cause I keep looking and hunting just like a lion Let these suckers know that it's them that been dying I show no remorse to the soul of a shadow And if they tell, then the hope prepared a battle I'll keep it 
I torn it up. I torned it up in my headphones. I love that song so much. It's so good. The the rapping on it is insanely good. He's really, really good. Also, sounds like it was recorded through a fucking phone from prison or something, which I assume is the effect. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that going for that song has never been released by Fate No More on any compilation or anything ever. I reckon maybe they didn't do a whole lot on it. Maybe they didn't do all the music as much as we thought they did. I I, I, I always got the feeling that that they were they were kind of big enough and happy enough to let Billy Tribe run with it. Now, I don't think it's on any Billy records either. Um, yeah. I have I have the Judgment Night soundtrack. I have... I wish <laughs> neither of them are making any money off of it. It's, it's just a whatever record label put out. I have the 12-inch <laughs> of that single. I think I have two of the 12-inches of that single. I have the Doomsday album, which I think would have been the one that coming out around then. I have some weird promo... Um, some weird uh, two two weird promo twelve inches off that as well that when I bought the record it was just slid into the sleeve yeah. so I got lucky, um, but yeah I, I, I no idea who owns the rights to that who's bothering like I don't know if anybody performing it I don't here's a big thing with a lot of these bands like, like where many of these played live I know you said Sparks of Fate No More done it maybe two or three times but yeah. like I, I'd love to know if they ever got their shit together. Because, it, it, as you said, a lot of this would have been not necessarily in the same studio. It would have been kind of passed back and forward and done on, on a weird time schedule. So, yeah. like, chances are they don't even know how to how to play it fucking live. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, so I'd love to know if, if Fate No More... I'm going to look that up on YouTube and see if, if Fate No More Beauty actually have ever done it live. I bet you they did. I bet you they did at some, at some mm, festival. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. At some, some random fucking festival where the two of them are on. I ha- I'm gonna have to have a look for that now, um, but yeah, Fate No More never released on any compilations. Very very interesting, um, but yeah, the, one of the big things with Booyah is that they play all their own instruments. They have they you know have DJs and scratching. They use kind of break beats and stuff like that. But the, they play drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, all this kind of shit because it was kind of bit into them as a child from their their past their father or whatever. Uh, that to me is like you said probably the best song on the playlist. It's just it's is, fucking yeah. perfect. It's perfect and it's it just gets me pumped. Oh, 100%. And it's all our time as well. It's, it's it's our fucking... It's our walk this way, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. People older than us would say that walk this way is is the yes. one, but I think fucking another one more than It's just... Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, that was that. Uh, who was your next one? My next one is Public Enemy, Beastie Boys, and Run DMC. Savage. That's a fucking good one. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad one. Yeah. Now, the song is, is grand. I like the song, mm. but it's the fact that I got the trade M on it. So this is the song Public Enemy number one, as in W-O-N. This is from their 2020 album, uh, What You Gonna Do When The Grid Goes Down. Um, this album also features like other combo deals, like the song Grid with Cypress Hill mm. and George Clinton. Um, but Public Enemy number one, spelled that way, is a rework of obviously the, mm. the big Public Enemy number one song from 1987. Um, the remaining members of Beastie Boys, Mike D and Ad Rock join Run DMC on this 
and uh, I think it's one of the most memorable tracks on it. I think I blasted through the album when it came out, and some mm. of it is pretty good. I think you you were you were into most of it, weren't you? Or else you hated it. I can't remember. The last album, well, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah no, lot. I remember you. Li- I couldn't remember what you liked that one. Oh no, you loved them and hated the other fucking thing, the prophets of. Oh, that prophets of Choi. Yeah, you like with this Cypress Hill. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not for me, man. It didn't, yeah, it didn't no, know what it was. Just a cash in for me. Grand, grand live, but I don't like. I'll never get to see that live. Therefore, I don't care. Yeah, it's over yeah. now. Anyway. So they have um, give it a blaster anyway. What they've done here is actually they've they've this makes it a tribute to Def Jam mm. instead. Like it, it, it kind of tells the story of Public Enemy and Def Jam. So what they've done is they've kind of changed it around a bit with Beastie Boys and Run the MC mm. to give it uh, a little bit of a story and it's a, it is a tribute to Def Jam so uh, give it a little blast there. all right here we go when I was losing it alcohol I was abusing it the wealth of health I wasn't choosing it to help myself I wasn't doing it mom and dad they meant a lot to me they helped me get where I got to be when they told me they adopted me to help me fulfill prophecy I did not know I had enemies named Jack and Jim and Hennessy They came with his mom befriending me with the intent of ending me Taking my power like kryptonite Cause it is known when I get the mic I go into a zone and I rip the mic Just like this rhyme that I spit tonight You can't understand how much it took To kick their asses and leave them shook Kill all the clowns and crush the crooks Cause I'm a superhero in the comic books My make-believe is your reality I'm everything I pretend to be Everything I need is inside of me And anything else is the enemy before we get started Now, here's a little story we got to tell About a sound so deaf, you know so well It started way back in history With the BC Boys LL Cool J Run DMC and Public Enemy Quick was a label with two turntables and a mic MCs do what you like 83, beats in the place to be 84, rhyming the open doors Death to the Gemini who I they're all trying she to do like, that, that old style as well. Which yeah, is cool. yeah, yeah. Well, it's there. It's it's all they invent, not invented, yeah. but like one of them invented it. Uh, I know, Run DMC probably did, and almost certainly, yeah. Like, and then I think Beastie Boys uh, influenced. Um, I think Beastie Boys influenced Public Enemy more so than Run DMC. Maybe I could be wrong about that. If if they did, Choke Day would never admit to it. No, well. I think he came close to admitting a few he times. Would, he, he, he would most certainly put his balls on the table and say like that they're they're really cool and you know uh, thanks to them and Rick Rue when they started kind of a, a hip hop revolution yeah. and all this kind of show. Well, you, you I know that he, he's very appreciative of the man and Def Jam because Public Enemy started out opening for Beastie Boys mm. uh, during License to Ill. I think right, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's mad. It's just a mad. It's 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 one of my combo deals that I thought hang on didn't they, something on that last album where it wasn't just it was like full members of the bands and stuff like that and mm. um, last year just before the album came out there was a big joint dispute between Flavor Flav and Chuck D where yeah he Chuck was kicked D out and fucking yeah, came he, back and kicked Chuck out Chuck D had signed on to do a Bernie Sanders thing and I think Flavor Flav was like no not doing that and, and you can't do it under the public enemy name either and Chuck no. D was like definitely gonna do that you mad cunt uh, yeah. so get out get out of the band get out and then uh, they couldn't fire him from the band or something like that and then they came out and said it was all for a publicity stunt because here's an album 
I don't know. It sounds yeah, like a weird... There's something fucky with Flavor Flav doing crack, and I think Flavor Flav might <laughs> own... He might own the rights to the name Public Enemy. Because even when they were touring... Um, during that God's Rap thing here a couple of years ago where it had like Wu-Tang and Public Enemy and stuff like that, Flavor Flav wasn't granted a visa to leave the US because he had fucking... I don't know, he'd been arrested a few times or something like yeah. that. And they had to call it Public Enemy Radio. And that became this kind of thing that whenever it was Public Enemy without Flavor Flav, they had to call it Public Enemy Radio. So right. I think oh, Flavor Flav owns the rights to the name Public Enemy. Or else he has, they have to both agree. Something like that. Because I know when, uh, like, Terminator X is dead, isn't he? So who's the fucking new DJ? I can't remember his bleeding name. Um, I can't remember his name. But yeah, it could have been split. I'm looking at Public Enemy action figures here right now. Hang on. This is the, this is the classic lineup. <laughs> Just knock everything down. Terminator X, yeah, I think Terminator X is fucking dead. And Professor Griff, yeah, he just stood on the stage pretending he had guns and stuff. I think he ended up doing a bit of rhyming later. Um, yeah, I, I, th- th- there's, there's something where Flavor Flav is integral to the use of the, the, the name Public Enemy. I know that much. And which, uh, what's weird about it is that, like, for a long time, Flavor Flav was like the bears of that group. He done jack shit, he done little intro and screaming and shouting and stuff, but Flavor Flav bit- can rap his arse off. Like, it was a bit like uh, Keith Flint started yeah. off not doing much, but then started doing. Yeah. Like, Terminator X is not dead, by the way. <laughs> is he not? Well, he was dead. Maybe Terminator X is the, the, the yeah. second DJ. It was the first DJ is dead. I can't remember. Yeah, um, maybe died of fucking blood something. I can't. I can't remember. Um, one of them died and got replaced a while ago. I can't for the life of me. Can't remember. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, Flav Flav is oh, no, yeah, yeah, a savage rapper. Yeah, t- he was replaced, but I don't think he died. Maybe he's sick or something like that. Something, something weird happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he got uh, uh, Flav Flav can rap his arse off. Like, yeah, like Nine One One is a joke is one of the one of the best public enemy songs, and it's all Flav. And when he does, when he does get a verse in, like he's really, really good. Here, here's the thing about public enemy. Like <laughs> Chuck, Chuck D is obviously like undoubtedly the best part of the band. Yeah, but it's good to get a little break from him every now and then rapping. Oh yeah, and like, absolutely. Because when he comes back in after Flavor Flav, it yeah. sounds even more punchier. Absolutely, because he's so like, aggressive. Like, yeah, he's so, so bananas like, aggressive. I, that's why, th- look, things work because you can't always tell why they work, but there's just a certain ebb and flow and magic there. And I think Flavor Flav is a good rapper. Really, yeah. oh, he I definitely think, is. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's even really in question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah DJ Lord joined uh, replacing Terminator X. Um, I can't remember what happened to him. Something fucking happened. Maybe, uh, yeah. Well, that was uh, that was Public Enemy, Run DMC, and Beastie Boys. Mm. Uh, that's quite a triple combo. So who's Big your time. next one? Uh, my last one is uh, a song I shouldn't like but do, and it's uh, Four or Five Seconds by Rihanna, Kanye West, and Paul McCartney. Yeah, but there's three of them, so I'll allow it. Yeah, I really like it. I, I don't know what it is. There's something. It's just a simple little song. Um, that they all kind of again. Simple little song. It's a simple little song. Um, <laughs> a simple little salad. A simple little salad. Um, it's just uh, now. What's weird about it is it's not simple at all. There's like ten ten writers involved in this song, three different studios. Like, it's 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 an abomination of a song. You know, it's it's it sounds like something that Paul McCartney had write in ten minutes. And it got filtered through that many people. We ended up with this weird stripped back version of it. Like, again, I, I, I really like it. It's one of those, uh, what I call a petrol station song. Like a song that came out and I forgot all about it. 
and then I heard it while I was putting Juice in the Tank one day and I was like oh yeah remember that's a good song I forgot about that yeah. song and I listen to it a lot all the time like McCartney's on it but he's playing guitar on it uh, it doesn't play bass in it strangely enough he plays guitar on it and um, you've he mostly got, plays guitar now yeah mm-hmm. mostly yeah he only breaks out the bass for when doing a few Beatles songs I think mm. uh, breaks out that shite bass the honer um, <laughs> I fucking hate it I hate it so much um, it, it looks stupid it looks like do you know it looks like a grandfather clock's horn sideways yeah it's just a stupid thing uh, strangely enough most of these people had worked together in some way shape or form like McCartney and Kanye West had worked before previously and Rihanna well, and Kanye they, they did, uh, Paul McCartney wrote the thing for all day Oh, you know that I can't say the other word after the song because yeah, I'm not yeah. that word. Yeah, uh, that song all day. The yeah, do 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 do. You, you can go. hear at the end of it, Paul McCartney whistling that same thing, and apparently he sent there it to Kanye. And Kanye went, "I'm going to put that down as a keyboard track." Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, Rihanna and West had worked together for Jay Z in the past, but this is the first time. Yeah, the, yeah the, the the three of them had kind of got their got their shit together again. Uh, it was McCartney's first top ten in 29 years first top oh, 10 shit. single in 29 years um, it was his first top 5 in 31 years so do you, know, uh, do you know what I hate about when these things come out and it happened with uh, Post Malone and, and um, Ozzy people make these fake tweets going whoever Paul McCartney is yeah Kanye just blessed you and you're about to blow up uh, yeah, now yeah. they're fake tweets they're not they're, real there's like, definitely some fucking idiots like kids is, that don't know yes. but like but the, the ones that you see are, are, are fake you know and what I mean? They're, they're posted to become a meme exactly. for older people to go, this is fucking, look at this shit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, McCartney's going to blow up. Whoever this Paul yeah. McCartney fella is going to blow up. Like Paul McCartney literally like farted out more fucking more sales than Kanye and Rihanna but combined. It, it's just, like, it just annoys me when people share those memes and I'm like, course. can I just tell you that that person did that on purpose to get shared? It's 100%. Not, whatever 100% yeah like I remember especially when this song came out there was loads of those about McCartney loads of them um, yeah a, a, a fucking atrocious amount of them. Now, this is six years ago it was 2015 um, I'm going to play a little bit of it here um, just so in case nobody's heard it that's not it would help if I put the right one on wouldn't it what's that on there oh, oh. Right. yeah yeah for weakness now I'm four five seconds from wildin' And we got three more days till Friday I'm just trying to make it back home by Monday morning I swear I wish somebody would tell me Ooh, that's all I want Woke up an optimist Sun was shining, I'm positive then I heard you was talking trash. Hold me back, I'm about to spaz. Yeah, I'm about four or five seconds from Wiley. And we got three more days till Friday. I'm trying to make it back home by Monday morning. I swear I wish somebody would drive. Oh, that's all I I really like it because it's so simple but like I said yeah. it's definitely not simple like you can hear that going through uh, fucking 10 different writers and producers and everything yeah. like uh, each one of them taking something away you know what I mean peeling the onion back 
appealing like, to you. <laughs> like I can imagine what that sounds like the first pass. It was batshit mad. Fucking yeah. synthesizers and everything kind of mask and everything. And then one 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 of the producers gets in, like peels something back. It's like, oh, that kind of sounds better without it, doesn't it? And he sends it out to the other guy. He goes, let me fucking get the claws in here. And he pulls back a little bit more. And you end up with this like kind of nothing song. It almost sounds yeah. like a folk song, you know? But the time is done. I have a lot of time for it. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of time for it. Like I said, it's, it's so... Like, you got the, the two guitars going in the background. Uh, one kind of doing a little palm mute and one kind of open. And that's pretty much it. Like, there's nothing really in the way... Of, not much in the way of drums, percussion. you got the organ that comes in. Um, Kanye's singing. He's not even really rapping. Um, I think that was back when Kanye thought he was the best singer in the world until he tried do to do, what? tried yeah. to do Bohemian Rhapsody live and just lastly, shit. Here's the problem, right? Like, he this parts where his attempts to sing the idea is really good, but he doesn't. He, he should have blamed the what you call that auto tune, so we knew it was definitely. Yeah. But then sometimes he just leaves that off, and you're like, oh man, you're brutal at singing. Yeah, like you like, haven't a no, he even a note in his head. No, not for singing. Like he can. Yeah there's some probably little simple things like that that's fine what he was doing there because it's like this weird kind of half rap half singing like he's because he's not getting it's not super soulful or tuneful or anything like that you know and yeah. th- get away with that but like in terms of like singing singing like did you ever see the video of him trying to do bohemian rhapsody and he's blaming his in-ear monitors and all yeah and you're like man that's nothing to do with it like because there's certain parts of that that where he where Bohemian Rhapsody is singing, singing the same note, yeah. And he's hitting the wrong notes. I'm like, hang on a minute. Even if you couldn't hear yourself, you would know not to change the note in your mouth. Exactly. He's all over the gaff. Yeah, he's sure. all over the place. There's no need for it. Um, but I think that this would have been around the time where he thought he was he was fucking God, um, instead of just loving God like he does now. But he thought he was God there for a while. Um, yeah, I've a, I've a lot of time for this song, and it's, it's such a weird combination. I can I can see see Rihanna and Kanye working together, obviously, you know. But like fucking. Like Paul McCartney, like how does that even come into the mix? It's like when we're talking about um uh, <laughs> about um Brian May from Queen doing stuff with fucking weird English rappers and stuff like that. Like, this, where do these connections come from? Like, there has to be some yeah, sort of so there has to be someone there that kind of glues the two things together. Or, or was it one of these things where Kanye wanted to? Kanye thought, right, who's the biggest band in the world ever? It's the Beatles. Okay, but what if we, like, getting a song with one of the Beatles is left? I'm surprised he didn't try and get, 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 get fucking, um, get, get what's-his-face drummer back in. My brain is called the shite, sorry, lads. Um, <laughs> honest to ha- God. No, what? This is the pandemic. Me and you, this keeps happening to me and you, and we're not even drinking. I'm not even drinking. I'm drinking ginger ale. Ooh. Do you know what I mean? I can't even remember the name of the drummer from the Beatles. That's what's how bad things are. Like... Yeah. Thomas the Tank Engine, whatever his fucking name is, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised Kanye didn't try to get like any all the surviving members together to do something with, just to try and get the rub, you know. Um. So anyway, that is a uh, four or five seconds by Rihanna, Kanye West, and Paul McCartney. Uh, like it a lot. Who was your last one? My last one is maybe an obvious choice, but it's sort of a big one as well. Hmm. Uh, do they know it's Christmas by Band Aid? Do they though? A, a major combo of bands on the one track. Mm. Uh, not necessarily built that way because it would take too long, but we have all of Duran Duran. Mm. I think we have all of Spando Valley. We have, um, I, I'm almost sure, almost all of the Boomtown Rats, naturally. Mm. We have 
two of you two. We have, I think, three of Ultravox. Mm. We have all of Status Quo. We have two of Culture Club. We have that more, actually. So that's a lot. And then there's other people like Paul Young, Paul Weller, yeah. um, George Michael. There's so many people on this that I can't name them all. They'll be here for ages. <laughs> um, and then the, just even that's just the singers. That's even the people who were just yeah, like... Yeah. Uh, Phil Collins played drums on it. Uh, John Andy Taylor <coughs> did uh, bass and guitar, and Major did keyboards on the programming for the thing, and uh, he wrote some of it as well. So this is produced by Major, yeah, um, and That's Trevor right, Horn. Yeah. And Trevor Horn. So the recording studio gave the them twenty four hours to record the song, <sighs> to, re- to do and mix it, and uh, they got it done. Yeah, they nailed it between Fuck. seven a seven a.m. And sorry, 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Hmm. And it was all filmed. <clears throat> and they had to film it and throw it out, like, to the to people to cut it, the thing while they were mixing it. So hmm. the video was, I think the video was getting cut, like, and edited and all that while they were mixing the song. So they got the hmm. recording of the song, then shipped that off just to have it ready. Um, the start of the song is a slowed down sample of a Tears for Fears song called The Hurting. Weird. I'm just going to hit you with facts now. I don't really want to go into too much about, like, this song was written in... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I just yeah, find yeah. facts about this song interesting because we could do a whole episode on this. Absolutely. Episode. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back to it properly yeah. in more detail. Almost certainly will, I think. Yeah. Um, so Tony Hadley of Spandau Ballet was the first to record his vocals. It's not really super surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, a section was that was sung by Status Quo was deemed unusable and replaced really? uh, replaced by uh, Paul Weller. Hmm. What sex? Yeah, comprising of, sorry, of Paul Weller, Sting, and Glenn Gregory from Heaven 17. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I can't read my own writing sometimes, you know. Uh, Paul Young said in a documentary that his opening lines were actually David Bowie's, but oh. David Bowie wasn't able to make it to uh, the thing but in fairness Bowie came and sorted out and did the B-side sent mm. contributions to the B-side he also performed it live at Live oh. Age so he kind of probably felt a bit bad um, Bob Geldof flew Boy George in from New York mm. on a Concorde I think you were That's saying right, Concorde yeah one about. of the last uh, commercial Concords ever like, woke him up so getting the, getting the fucking plane and he flew yeah. in done his bit and I think he flew back again from Madison Jesus Square Gardens Christ Madison Square Garden, come back and do. That's your mm. big culture club wear then. Holy yeah. shit. Um, his throat apparently was banjaxed and he had to neck a whole bottle of brandy to uh, to get like his vocal cords loosened up or something mm. like that. Um, Bob Geldof hates the song. <laughs> there you go. He thinks it's genuinely a terrible, terrible song. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's that good of a song. I think there's certain parts of it and I like the whole idea of it, really. Yeah, I mean, we didn't we read earlier that it was it was supposed to be a Boomtown Rat song that he brought to yeah. Midjour and he had like a terrible like three strings on it, and he was just making it up as he went along in front of Midjour. That's sounds a bit right. Yeah, and Midjour's like this is this is garbage, and he ended up changing loads of it, and loads of the lyrics and stuff like that because he wanted to be, yeah. what is it? Um, and there won't be snow in Ethiopia this Christmas, and Midjour's like can't say that man, like you have to just say fucking Africa, you can't just single out Ethiopia like. And then they had to go and look if it uh, had to go and look if it actually snowed in Ethiopia, just in case they were going to be wrong. So yeah, um, oh doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. 
It doesn't. You have to be careful. It has, but it doesn't. Border, like, yeah, border things. Like, a lot of people don't know that it snows in Iran. And Egypt, yeah. Randomly, but yeah, it does every now and again. It's just where they're bordering. So, yeah, um, another fact. Let's talk about the people who had fights during this. You. George Michael and Paul Weller was the biggest one, apparently. Mm. Uh, So, apparently, George Michael said they were all English musicians were slagging the shit out of each other all day. Like, as a joke. As a joke. Yeah. Just to get just to get boy, like a bit of crack. And Paul Weller just snapped. Absolutely snapped at George Michael. Really? And uh yeah. Like just like I am not into this whole slagging thing or whatever. I don't know what the fuck. He, he wanted to take it more seriously. I think Paul Weller was looking around and going, These are all fucking pop stars, fuck that. Like, okay. What year so was in, this? Eighty four. Eighty four so would have been. Was it been the jam or Style Council? Probably Style Council. Style Council at yeah. the time I think. Yeah, so he would have been taking uh, himself a bit more seriously. Yeah, I don't like Soil Council. Fuck the style, Soil Council, garbage. Not into that music at all now. Yeah. A few jam songs. And I'm absolutely mad about Paul Weller solo stuff more than any other. Mm. Whatever. But uh, then again, I'm not cool enough to like jam. Uh, so uh, another person that said uh, that uh, Paul Weller was a dick was Simon Le Bon. Mm. He said uh, he wasn't friendly to anyone at all. And he took the whole thing super, super politically. Mm. And if anyone was like having fun around, he'd be like, this is fucking serious. I guess he maybe he wanted to make it more just tell himself <laughs> that it was more serious than it actually yeah. was. Um another person that had a fight was George Michael and Simon Le Bon. No, sorry, but I think it was Boy George and Simon Le Bon, I believe. <clears throat> um No, no, it wasn't. It was George Michael and Boy George. Uh-huh. I think we knew why they might have had a fight. You know, maybe Boy George always up to that crack. Yeah. Are you telling anyone yet? He's a no. little rat he is. He's fucking tell it. He's a little rat. Yeah. Um that's he's from Cabra, uh, isn't he? No, no, no. It's, but Boy George? Yeah. No, he's from England, but his family are from Limerick. Is it Limerick? And I think his fucking auntie or something lives in there. Uh, Maybe, yeah. There's something to do with Cabra and Boy George as well. I can't remember what yeah, the fuck yeah. it is. Um, I find a lot of that stuff interesting. Like you said, the song... Oh, there's bits of it. Like, Bono's bit is... Like, I, I, they, it's they big. Changed Bono, they, it's big. I like that bit. Yeah. They changed that. Well, they didn't. They originally wrote it down, and I think a few people had an issue with it. They said, "Well, tonight, thank God, it's down instead of you." Sounds awful. It sounds way too harsh. Yeah. So they changed it to, uh, "So who dictates it? Who something? Someone else dictates it's down mm. instead of you." And uh, fucking Geldof came and goes, "No, I like the uh, I like the original. It's, it's very brutal. It's very hard hitting. Mm, I yeah. like it." So they stuck with it, and Bono was probably like, "Fucking whatever, just get, get me over here. We haven't got long time." Mm. Still tonight, thank God, damn. <laughs> yeah. um, the singer Marilyn, the androgynous singer Marilyn, wasn't even invited; just turned up. Really? Yeah, you gotta give it to them. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of similar to uh, in the when the redo they did a remake of it uh, in 2014 or something like that. Damon Albarn turned up just for a moral support. Apparently, mm. I don't think he's actually on that song. Um, I think mean, it's a combo, big combo deal. Yeah, I think we I think we should do a, a separate episode on something like that. I think no, so. I, I know what we'll do. We're gonna do 
Band-Aid versus Arms Around America or whatever the fuck. The oh, American, yeah, yeah. America version. Well, that's what we'll do. We'll do a versus. Yeah, that could be interesting. The two of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's my last one anyway. Yep, that's it. Uh, that was Combo Deal. Interesting mix of, uh, like, like we said before, as opposed to kind of just being duets. These are complete units that kind of block together. Um, if you like what we do, you've got the patreon.com forward slash lost our podcast. Uh, support us. It's five euros a month. Uh, if you don't want to commit to that you just go to our Ko-Fi account the link is in the text for the podcast there and you can tip us for what what you uh, what you think we're worth um, we appreciate all of it uh, and it goes a long way paying for hosting and everything like that we will be back uh, me and Helm are back this Saturday with a live show uh, link is up on the Facebook or the uh, website and Twitter and all that and I've lost a power speech it's just I drank too much last night it's gone did you? yeah I had too many cans of Stella Artois and I uh, it's not good it's not good it's not good and all I've been doing all day is sleeping and eating I got up at like 11 o'clock and I got back in the bed at 1 o'clock and I slept till 5 o'clock uh, it's one of them days man just, honest to God it's bad been a bad day Um I'm gonna, I might go back into bed now, friend. I oh, know it's like 10 o'clock at night, isn't it? No, yeah, you can't. It's not no. going for bed for an hour and I get back, you'll fuck yourself. No, that'd be me ruined. No. Uh, anyway, thanks, folks. Uh, see you on Saturday for the live show and you'll hear us again on Monday Gone. Yes. Right, take it easy. Good luck.